Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here in Chile, Southern Arizona, surprisingly this morning. I'm here with my partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. It's probably balmy in South Louisiana, isn't it? Actually, it's jacket weather. So yeah, we're cold as well. <laughs> yeah, we got our second or third snow up in the mountains. The ski lifts are running and it's so cold that I can't even ride my bicycle. So it's, oh. I'm waiting for it to get back up into the 50s so I can hit the streets again. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, Frank and I are wrapping up what we think is a life-impacting series on forgiving those who wound us. And last time we went through the mechanics of how to do it, how to pray, how to invite the Holy Spirit in to reveal to us the offenses that we've endured, how to make a list of those, and actually how to go through the process of forgiving them, what to say, how to say it, and then to strike through, to make that ever important strike through on that offense and writing forgiven and dating it on there. But Frank, I want to pick up that process today because once we've gone through the forgiveness exercise and exercise is I just realized it's such a kind word. It can be grueling, my friend. There you go. Oh, it's grueling. Once you've gone through the the triathlon of forgiveness, your enemy is not going to be very pleased with what you've done. Mm -hmm. You've removed the chains of bondage, of unforgiveness, of resentment and bitterness. You're choosing now to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give you. So he's not going to stop fighting, but he's going to change his tactics. He's going to begin to offer up lies, and they're going to sound something like this. I don't feel like I've forgiven. I don't feel any different at all. Oh, by the way, I can't forget what happened. I still remember it clearly. It still haunts me. So, Frank, when these thoughts come, how are we to handle them? Can we stop them first? And if not, how do we deal with them? Oh, that's a great question, Sean. The thing we have to remember is that forgiveness is both an event and a process. And you say, well, how could that be? Well, it's very simple. We just give an illustration. Being married is an event and a process. <laughs> it's an event that's going to occur at a moment in time when a young man and a young woman stand before a preacher and say, I do, I do. And bam, they are married. Event. But I guarantee it's a process of learning how to be married. It's going to go on and on and on. It's the same way with forgiveness. It's an event. It's going to occur in a moment of time. Then enters in the process of learning how to walk in forgiveness. And John, you broached a very important question. If the enemy can't keep you from forgiving... He's going to put you in doubt that you've done it. 
And so those thoughts, those feelings are going to be coming your way. And as we noted in earlier podcasts, and we'll probably note again and again, you cannot fight against a thought by saying no to it. When you say no to the thought, you're reminded of the thought. The only way to defeat a thought is to replace it with the truth. And so when that thought comes, boy, I still feel angry. I must not have forgiven. No, I know I forgave. I can look on my list and see the date that I did it. I'm learning how to break free of the emotions. I did forgive. And that's kind of how you do it, John. It's an event and a process. That's right. We've got to recognize both. Frank, we need to remind each other and remind our listeners that those thoughts the enemy will offer up might not ever stop. Mm -hmm. And we have a choice. You know, we can set our mind on those thoughts he offers us and keep remembering what happened. And of course, the emotions will follow. And we'll wind up spiraling down and wondering whether we've ever even forgiven. Or we can, as you said, reject them. You know, take those thoughts captive, discard them because they're lies, replace them with truth, set our minds on things above, focus on what's true, lovely, and worthy of praise, and begin to take our first steps toward walking in freedom. Now, Frank, you talked about replacing old thoughts, old lies with new thoughts to truth. We got to be careful here because we're not talking about reprogramming our memory so that we deceive ourselves into thinking that that awful thing never happened to us. We're not doing that, are we, Frank? Absolutely, John. You and I both read a book years ago, and it was a wonderful book on healing from sexual abuse and healing from the memories of the sexual abuse. And it was a wonderful book until about midway through the book, you came to a page. And let me just bring that up to your remembrance and just for our listeners to hear. A man who wrote the book, he was counseling a woman. And in that middle of his book that he wrote, there is an account where she comes into his office and says, Jesus healed me. He healed me of my memory. And what had happened to her was the families were on vacation and they were all going to go for a boat ride. There wasn't enough room in the boat. So some of them needed to stay behind. The uncle volunteered to stay behind with the little girl and they would go on the next boat ride. And as soon as the boat was out of sight, he molested the little girl. But she came into this man's office as an adult and saying, Jesus healed me of my memory. And he said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, last night in a dream, I was back on that dock and the family took off in the boat and my uncle made his way towards me. And I invited Jesus into the memory and Jesus showed up on the dock and stopped him from abusing me. John, that's a fantasy. Yes. And a fantasy is not healing. It's deception. And our Jesus, and this is key, does not need deception to set his kids free. 
He is so powerful, so strong. Forgiveness is so dynamic that he doesn't need fantasy to set his people free. The power of his own life and the power of being forgiven as both are expressed in us can be expressed through us and we can forgive the harsh, bitter wounds that were put upon us by people in this world and still walk in freedom. So that's the kind of thing I think we want to try to avoid, John. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's so important to realize that what Frank and I are talking about is not some silly mind trick, some parlor trick. It's doing what scripture says to do. Colossians 2, set your mind on things above. And that means place it firmly. Let that be your unwavering gaze. Philippians tells us to let our minds dwell, stay planted permanently on what's true what's lovely, what's worthy of praise. So this is what it looks like. And I know that these verses are, are nice on memes and they're so inspiring, but when you get in the trenches of everyday life and you're struggling through forgiveness of a deep wound like this, setting your mind on things above and focusing on what's true, that can be pretty difficult. Because your emotions can be screaming and the enemy never stops. But Father promises that he will not leave us alone. We cling to him. He will show up in a mighty way. And he will begin the healing, the true biblical healing process. And so I don't want to sugarcoat how easy this is, Frank, because mm -hmm. it's not. But... It becomes easier in time. Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. first few times, boy, are going to be rough, and it's going to be a battle, real spiritual warfare. Yeah, and John, that's because we know that the enemy has schemes in Ephesians 6, methods. The old King James called it the wiles of the devil. And I'll never forget the King James Version. I remember having a teenager read that out loud at a teenage Bible study. And he said, beware the willies of the devil. And so <laughs> I've, I've never been able to forget the King James Version. I said, well, his wiles will give you the willies. He has different methodologies, John. The one I think in this arena of forgiveness is when we get ready to forgive and when we do the act of forgiveness, one of his methods, I believe, is like the trench warfare of World War I. He is going to hurl himself at us in charge after charge after charge relentlessly to try to get us to doubt that we made the choice to forgive, or in fact, to keep us from making that choice. And so it becomes very difficult to live out the forgiveness because he's constantly reminding us, remember what they did? Do you remember what they did? How could they have done that to you? They don't really love you. How could you forgive them after what they did? And that's the kind of thing he's gonna do. He's gonna try to not let you forget. He's gonna try to not let you think on the things that are good, lovely, honorable, and true, and walk in that process. As you stand firm, like we've been talking about, mm 
reject those thoughts, set your mind on the truth. I did forgive, independent of how I feel, and you stand your ground like the World War I trench warfare. You stand in that trench against him as he hurls himself against you. What I've discovered is the enemy's not stupid, John. He's going to back off because you've learned how to defeat that onslaught by repeatedly speaking the truth. But you know what he's going to do? He's got other wiles, other schemes. He's going to leave you alone for a while. And then he's going to ambush you in a sneak attack. When you least expect it, you haven't thought about that offense or that wound for months, even years. Out of nowhere, he'll come whispering and say, do you remember what they did to you? And if you're not prepared for guerrilla warfare, you'll be temporarily derailed. Because in that moment, you go, yes, I do. And that was so mean. And so, and down you go. And you've got to be prepared to lay hold of what's happening and say, wait a minute, I forgave that. And I'm going to walk in the forgiveness. So he does have different schemes, John, and we've got to be aware of them. That's right. And I'm listening to you talk, and I realized that if I were to digest the enemy's wiles, <laughs> it would be to work to drag you into the past. Mm. where the offense occurred. He doesn't want you to focus on the present because in the present, you find God. I am, God mm. says, my name is. He wants to drag you to the past. And I don't have a God whose name is I used to be or right. I was. My God's is I am. And so I will find the peace and rest and joy and freedom in the present. But if I go back, I'm basically going to be a, a ping pong ball. Uh, the enemies are going to be bouncing me back and forth. I'm going to lose my grip, won't I? Yeah, John. Then there's another dynamic. When you're reminded of past hurt and how much it hurts, you're going to start to project into the future with your imagination and going, what if it happens again? What if I get hurt again? And all of a sudden you're living where God is not either because his name is not I will be. Um, and that's going to cause fear and anxiety and self-protectiveness and building walls around your heart. We've got to live in the present tense where we meet a present, ever-present God, who his name is I am. That's right. Well said, my friend. All right, here's a big wrinkle, Frank. Once we go through the forgiveness process and we're walking, we must be willing to enter into relationship again, which means, and this is the scary part, we're willing to risk being hurt again. Mm. Ouch, you know? You know, we go through, we forgive, they repent. We restore them, as we've talked about in past episodes. But you know, it might happen again. That's a big risk, Frank. How do we manage that? Yeah, I think your words, John, might need to be highlighted. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we're willing to enter into relationship. That means we lower our drawbridge. That's it's the willingness. You're not saying automatically take them back. Trust is something that's built over time. When trust is violated, it takes even more time 
to rebuild the trust. We've used the analogy for years. I know you've used this of a bridge. When we have a little rope bridge relationship between us and you bump into me in a hallway and that little rope bridge falls down and you say, oh, please forgive me. And I say, no problem. And the rope bridge goes right back up. But when we built a more permanent bridge, a wood structure with wide beams driven into the ground, and you hurt me, choosing to lie about me or rage at me or whatever, or I at you, betray your trust, deceive you, slander you, that wooden bridge falls hard. And John, we can't instantly rebuild it. We've got to tear away the rubble first. And that's that hard work of restoration, where we acknowledge you did this. Yes, I did. What do I need to do to make it right? Let me tell you. And then, John, when we build a really intimate bridge, like a deep, deep friendship or a marriage union, family relationships, that's a steel and concrete bridge. And those bridges fall really hard. And there's a lot of work to get rid of the rubble before we can ever start building a bridge and then building that bridge takes time. So it, the key is the willingness to lower the drawbridge, but it doesn't mean we leave that drawbridge down if we detect something going on that isn't right, deceptive, could hurt us. Then we pull that drawbridge instantly up and confront what we're seeing and give them an opportunity to explain what they're doing and why. And then we'd be willing to lower that drawbridge again. And John, just even doing that is difficult. Like Jesus told Peter, you don't mean seven times, Lord. No, I mean 70 times seven. He restores and restores and restores and restores, even though we violate his love and restoration again and again and again. And if his life is in us, John, then we are willing to do the same restoration to those who will fail us. The difference is we call them on the failing and see if we can't move forward and iron sharpen iron and reason together and provoke each other further down the path of righteousness. That's right. But even when there's forgiveness and restoration and repentance, it still takes a while to build yes, that bridge of trust. So don't look for immediate recovery. Give it time. Mm. All right. Let's talk about some of the people who might be on our list, Frank. We talked about making a list last time. And you've alluded to this several times already, that those who are closest to you often wound you the deepest. Mm -hmm. Boy, that is so important to acknowledge because these are the folks who know your best, you know, who mm -hmm. know your weaknesses. They know your vulnerabilities. And Frank, when like parents, spouses, family members do this, the pain from these can be really difficult to deal with, can it? Yes, John. And that's because we've got expectations. And those expectations, if you think about it, I don't mean those in terms of law. Like, I expect you to do this or I won't love you. But we're in relationship of covenant there. There are givens in covenant that I will treat you with the highest and best of motive and action. So 
when those expectations, when covenant love is violated, yeah, it's a much greater wound than a wound of an acquaintance or a stranger, John, because we have those love expectations that love demands. And so it hurts worse. Absolutely. It does. Well, here's another person I found on my list, Frank, that actually I found common with every offense I wrote down. And that is myself. Mm. Because of what happened to me, I made vows, I reacted, I made decisions, I made life choices, I behaved in a certain way. And so my response to what happened to me was many times just as bad, if not worse, than mm. what someone else did to me. So really, I found the unwritten name on my list was John. Did mm. you find that to be true too? Oh, absolutely. A person might have wounded me one time, but I spent a lifetime wounding myself because of what they did. You say, well, how did you do that? Well, by building a castle around my heart of self-protection. I was never designed to have a castle of self-protection. I was designed with God-giving boundaries, rights of personhood, but never a castle of self-protection. When you protect yourself from being hurt, you place yourself behind those walls in a position where you can't extend love and not just that you're not only enabled to receive love. And so I was wounding others as well. And then the harder I protected myself, John, those walls of a castle of self-protection became a prison to the extent where the real Frank became an ugly person. I'll hurt you before you hurt me. I will never let you get close to me, so you can't hurt me. And this is the kind of thing we do. And John, here's the key phrase. We can't keep what happened to us from happening, but we can change what we do with what happened to us. We can't change what happened, but we can change what we do. Every one of us has the choice. Will we become a victim? Identifying ourselves by what somebody did to us? Will we become a victimizer because now we're going to protect ourselves for the rest of our lives? Or will we live as a victor, empowered by the living Christ to have the strength to forgive, take down our castle, tear down our prison, and function again with the boundaries, the rights of personhood that were God-given? to not only maintain a love for ourselves that can quickly pull up a drawbridge, but also lower a drawbridge and be able to love others with the love and grace that was freely given to us. It's a huge deal. Yes, it is. All right, my friend, there's one more name on all of our lists that we need to acknowledge. And that is the all-powerful God of the universe, my loving Father, could have stopped what happened to me, but he didn't. So Frank, when I think about this, it's easy for me to feel rejected, punished, cast aside, discarded, as if all of God's promises in scripture to never leave me 
are untrue. So Frank, do we need to forgive God? How does that work? What gives there? Well, John, here we have to go back, I believe, to the first word of forgiveness, the one that last time together you pointed out occurs in large number pre-cross, aphiomy. It's the word that means to cancel a debt. And it's very important to understand this, John, because when I teach on forgiveness, most people track with me up until you just brought up what you brought up. And I bring it up when I bring it up that we need also to forgive God. And that's when I tend to lose people. They look at me in horror and say, what do you mean? Forgive God. He's perfect. He never does anything wrong. I look at them and I say, and I agree with you 100% because that's what the Bible says. Well, then if he didn't do anything wrong, how can you be calling us to forgive him? That doesn't make any sense. No, it makes perfect sense with the word of me. When we're in a relationship with someone, we have expectations. And so we have expectations of God. We think he should do things a certain way. We all do it. When he doesn't do what we think he should, we hold it as a debt against him. And so if a fee of me means cancel the debt, well, you're the one that's holding the debt. Cancel it by forgiving him. So of course we need to forgive God. A fee of me is a relational freeing of the person that we have expectation of. Now in charismai, <laughs> grace, well, we can't really do that with God because he doesn't need any grace from us. It's simply really our receiving the grace that empowers us to do the ephemi. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I know it might sound heretical, but uh, I invite our listeners to pray through this. Think about it because all of us have expectations of God. You look around and you know, you look at the suffering in the world and the first thing that comes to many people's mouths is, uh, well, why did God allow this? Where's God when all this happens? He must be asleep or he doesn't really care. And so none of those statements is true. He cares deeply. And remember, he has allowed part of the hedge of every struggle that's come into our lives and he wants to use it to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And to emphasize that point, Frank, I want to wrap us up by bringing us back to a quote that we began with some weeks ago. This quote is from Corey Ten Boom, Nazi concentration camp survivor. And she had a ministry for other survivors of concentration camps after the war. And she said this, those survivors who were able to forgive their tortures eventually were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter their abuse. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. And I want to wrap this up, Frank, with what I have found online. It's called the Ravensbrook Prayer. This was mm. the prison camp in which Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were imprisoned. And this prayer written on a piece of paper was found, get this, Frank, found in the clothing of a dead child. Mm. 
the prayer reads this way. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne. Get that. Remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering. Our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, and our courage. This child is describing the fruits of his suffering. And when our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits in our lives that we have borne be their forgiveness. Frank, I read that, and I still can't read it without crying. Mm -mm. The heart of this person in the midst of a nightmare to walk and live in freedom in the midst of tragedy because they've chosen to forgive. Wow. Wrap us up, my friend. But John, I think that is only possible by someone who has understood the character and nature of God. We are never calling into question that he loves us. His love has been proven at the cross. We never call into question his goodness. Now, we might not be able to understand if he's good, and if he's perfect, and if he's holy, and if he's loving, how these things can be happening. I don't believe they're happening independent of him. He knows. He's guiding. He's going to use them. But he was never the cause of the evil. That's the only way possible for us to be able to love and forgive because we know that's what he's done for us. So that's a key thing, John. When we talk about forgiving God, it's our expectations of him. It's not that he's not good and loving and perfect. That's right. Well said, my friend. Well, this has been a very sobering series. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully you have Stay through the entire duration. I don't remember how many episodes there are, 12, 13 or so. If you've missed some, we invite you to go back, start at the beginning, and we trust that the Father will bring freedom into your life. Thanks for going to our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there to guide you to the never-ending love of Jesus Christ, your very life. Sign up for our newsletter. You'll find a link there on our page. And also look for us on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube. And as always, we remind you that no matter what you're facing, you have an anchor for your soul. Hebrews 6 tells us that. Peter calls it a living hope. Paul calls it a blessed hope. And Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose that hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com. 
and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.